is the Under Center Podcast. Hello and welcome to the special edition of the Under Center Podcast. I am your host, Dara Marr, and we are talking about the Seahawks, but I am not alone. I am delighted to be joined by one of the hosts of the Bump and Stacey show on Seattle Sports Radio. That's, of course, Stacey Joe Ross. Stacey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am not too bad. I'm not too bad. Uh, I, I explained off air. We, I'm a little tired. It's <laughs> uh, it's early over here or late, whichever way you want to say it, over here in Dublin. But yep. look, when I signed up to be a Seahawks fan, these were one of the uh, terms and conditions I had to make <laughs> do with. Getting used to uh, Pacific time for sure when it comes to airtime over here. But Yeah, you only um, chose it's... the furthest time zone. You could have been a Giants fan, you know what I mean? It would have been so much easier. I know, and I always question why, because Ireland has a big, you know, Giants, Patriots, Jets, Bills, yeah. you know, all the you all the East so Side sort East of Coast teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I realized that oh yeah, Seahawks, uh, Seahawks would exclusively sort of kick off at say 9 p.m., half 9 p.m. over here in Ireland. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I get the second slate of games. It's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I watch all the first ones. Yeah. yeah, but then when it's getting to, like, midnight, half half 12, you know, yep. anytime you the Seahawks yourself. game finishes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Most people in work on Monday are like, why, yeah. why are you fired every Monday? Yeah, we went to overtime. About. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exhausted. Uh, actually, speaking of overtime, um, I, I have been lucky enough now to be to go over to Seattle, and I have been able to 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 watch a Seahawks game back in 2019, um, and that was the game at home to the Bucks. I think it was it was the DK Metcalf's rookie year, so yeah, they went to overtime in that game, um, and it's still it's still one of the highlights um, so far because I got to see them in London against the Raiders. That was a blowout, but this close yep, one going yep. overtime that they won. Yep. Was unreal. It was a great one. I was in like the three hundreds up there, and everyone was having a great time. And I, I can't wait for the day I get to go back and see it's another Seahawks game. Fun asking people about their favorite games because everyone, you know, it, like some people might be like, "Oh, the NFC Championship game against Green Bay." Like there are like famous Seahawks games that we all think of, but like one yeah. of my favorite games I've ever um, covered in person was like this random regular season game against Houston, and I. Uh, I don't think it went into over game, uh, overtime, excuse me. It was like um, a Jimmy Graham touchdown with like a couple seconds left or something on fourth down. I, I don't completely remember, but the stadium like lost their minds. And I don't think it was like a huge game of consequence. It might have been shortly before the, the trade deadline, uh, maybe when they got Dwayne Brown. But like it's always like people's favorite game sometimes is the most random day that they went there. And they're like, I don't know why, but that's my pick. And I, yeah. I always love the different answers. Oh yeah, I I know that I know the think the exact game you're talking about, and I think it was uh-huh. was it I think it was Deshaun Watson's rookie year, and he was it going was. into Seattle, and yep. him and Russ just went yes, blow for blow, and, forth, and then yeah. Deshaun tore his ACL like the following week, uh, or like that, yeah. you know, in practice or something. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy game. Oh yeah, I remember I remember that game well for sure, but. Unfortunately, at the moment for the Seahawks, it's not exactly kind of going that way when it yeah. comes to games. Um, but I must mention also, we are getting close to the holiday season. Um, and I hopefully the uh, the Seahawks haven't put a dampener on it for you just yet. Uh, no, no, still, no. Uh, I got my tree. 
still uh still enjoying the holiday season and you know they're still in it and it feels sometimes disingenuous to talk about that on air because the tenor from fans is one of disappointment for the season and it's completely understandable and I'm disappointed for how the season has gone but um I think you also have to be honest when you talk about the team and be like well I can't say the season's over when they're not eliminated and you know it when if they went out that's a big if after losing four but like They've got a shot at a wild card. I mean, the Vikings are playing now Mullins over Dobbs. Like, they're they're not in a great spot. Like, you know, who knows what the Falcons are going to do. Um, so, uh, I mean, they're still in it. It's just not the place we want them to be. Yeah. And, of course, yeah, we're, we're talking Seahawks in general because they did lose their fourth game in a row on Sunday, Ugh. going down to the San Francisco 49ers for the second time in as many weeks by 28 points to 16. First time the Pete Carroll era that Seahawks team have lost four in a row. Of course, Stacey, this was the much maligned gauntlet of games the Seahawks fans have marked on their calendars that would prove whether or not they are true contenders. Uh, after a 6-3 and three start, uh, the playoffs seem like a real possibility, but now the Seahawks are six and seven on the outside, looking in with the final home, final game, I should say, of this stretch mm-hmm. coming on Monday at home to the Eagles, and not many are backing against four losses in a row, turning into five. Stacy, I caught some of your show yesterday, um, and a lot of Seahawks were hot, um, <laughs> just to to put it mildly. And you asked a question um, to listeners, what? Uh, would you do to fix the Seahawks? And there are so many differing views. And and that is a kind of indicative of the issues of the team at the yeah. moment, that there is not just one thing to point your finger at. There's a myriad of things. Yes, I absolutely agree. And I'm so glad you said that because after I left that conversation and after the show ended, um, you know, you start thinking about what you want to do the next day. And I was like, I feel like listeners planned half our show. Like we had people calling in and, and everything everyone was talking about had merit and it was fair. And like you said, it ran the gamut. It was, um, I don't think anyone would say the Seahawks lost this game because they had bad offensive or defensive line play. Like Williams was great on the defensive line. The offensive line was not stellar, but like it wasn't their worst performance. I think explosive plays are the reason they lost. However, we had someone call in and say, hey, the trenches are a problem. And I was like, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, you want to talk about how you got to this place and why you're still behind the Eagles and 49ers. The trenches might be the biggest reason. Um, You know, we had people, um, there are some people I disagreed with. Like uh, there are some people that still think that DK is a problem. I don't agree with that. I think he's an emotional player. I think that sometimes he needs to like, check it because it'll get him into trouble like it did with Fred Warner that wasn't on DK I mean DK you know fought back but you start building up a reputation with refs and then you face the consequences um so I didn't agree with every single take but all of it was fair and and really to sum it up it was personnel issues coaching issues execution issues and wrapped up in all of this is a fear about messaging and a fear about what happens when you start to lose four in a row God forbid they lose five in a row. What if it becomes six in a row? This is uncharted territory for a Pete Carroll team. And it is really not easy, but uh, a more effective venture to have your messaging stick and your culture thrive when you're winning and when everyone's excited and there's a lot of trust in each other to coach through finger pointing and to coach through frustration is a completely different beast. And so that's where our conversation started going after that. I love that conversation. Yeah, yeah, it was, and like you said, there, I, I would be in the same boat. There was some 
points that I would agree with, probably some that, that I don't. And, you know, you're starting to see when it comes to sort of, you know, this space of, you know, um, podcasting and and, and, radio, and sports radio and then people giving views that, you know, the views can differ um, a lot with people. So obviously some yeah. people like that they have they they point their finger slowly at say like that coaching or they point that upstairs or they point the ownership or they point the players and stuff and it it is an interesting sort of conversation because when you listen to a few of them and you give the you hear their reasoning why they believe this is the problem or they believe that is the problem um you 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 always have to take you always have to have a, a think about it and think they're not wrong at the the way they're coming at but maybe it's not the the reason the reason this particular team yeah. is, is struggling yeah I, I would look at that with like the quarterback conversation right like if someone were to come out and say which they have all season long Gino's the problem Gino's just not good enough Gino is a backup I think I'd say like well gosh I mean the majority of his career he was a backup He's shown that he can be a good quarterback, but I wouldn't put him in that top tier of quarterbacks right now. Like, I, I just wouldn't. I don't think that's a controversial take. That said, I don't think that Gino has been the problem with this team. In fact, I think he's been one of their better performers, which is saying something because he's had regression this year. Um, I think that – so, again, it's it's something you could say, and and universally for football teams, the most important position is quarterback. So it's a take where you're like, I guess you're not fundamentally wrong. But the issue with the Seahawks isn't that Geno Smith isn't Patrick Mahomes. Like, I don't know if you bring in, uh, you know, a top five pick, if you were to just tank, you know, it's too late now. But if you were to tank and you suddenly get, you know, um, a Caleb Williams and bring him in, does he solve your offensive line problems? Does he solve the explosive plays you're giving up defensively? Does he solve if there are any issues with culture or leadership? I don't think so. Like, I think he can help, but like, I think one thing that has become very clear with this season is you are not one young quarterback away from fixing your problems. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that's though comes from, and I, I think it ties in with the sort of coaching issue that some people are having as well, that, you know, the team has had Russ for so long um, and there was success. And then there was a, towards the end, obviously there was a bit of, you know, uh, what could you say? Angst, maybe. I think that might be too strong of a yeah. word, but uh, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so the Seahawks are in this sort of, you know, quarterback carousel, as you could say, uh, at the moment. They, mm-hmm. They've joined it. They don't have their sort of settled guy, their franchise guy, in a lot of people's eyes. Now, maybe in coaching's eyes, they they do in Geno. Um, and if that's what they want, that's that's fine because like you said Gino's not one of the the worst guys in the league this year you can just have a look at you know what's happened in the league with the right. amount of injuries first of all that for QBs and then also the 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 very questionable play as well and Carolina is a perfect example if you know they thought they they got the guy in Bryce Young and um he's he struggled but we're the very next pick and CJ Stroud is doing a great job and in Houston, you know, you're not guaranteed, like you mentioned, getting a, a quarterback in a draft is going to fix all those problems. Um, but you know, I, I was going to actually say this right, but I'll bring it to you there now that's why I'm tying it into coaching because we're seeing, you know, 
calls, not calls for peak, maybe whispers about maybe right. fans wanting to move on for peak, sort of getting louder and louder this year. I think it's the first year I've seen so many takes from so many people saying that maybe it's time for Pete to go or whatever that is. But I don't see it from a point of view is that he's struggling. Well, obviously that that's one of the things, but not the main one. Um, because I, I'm looking at the situation in New England with Bill Belichick, the situation right. in Pittsburgh with Mike Tomlin. You know, these are the these are quite similar in terms of their guys with long tenures with their team, their defensive coaches. The moment the fad is offensive young coaches, um, and maybe the this time the game anytime the game changes it ha it takes mm -hmm. a few victims and with it and maybe Pete Mike Bill are those victims at the moment where I would err on the side of caution and where I'd love to get your point of view on this Stacy is you know you could try and get this thirty something year old you know young uh, young offensive guy to be your head coach you could look out you could get a mike mcdaniel you could get a Kyle mm -hmm. shan you could get a, a a sean mcveigh on the other side of things you can get a map you could end up with a cliff <laughs> a cliff kingsbury no disrespect right. to cliff kingsbury right. but right. just because of how it worked out in the end with arizona um he's got a beautiful but, cement mansion like he's fine <laughs> yeah yeah like he, that, okay. that picture of him in his house for the draft is always yeah. going to be iconic like but <laughs> yeah. you know when it comes to his legacy with the team itself you know didn't end great yeah I, I i love you pointing that out and it's something that we've kind of talked about and um have been delicate with on air, especially given that they are still in the playoff hunt and you don't want to talk about coaching changes with the team when that team has historically for the last 13 seasons, been a playoff team far more often than not. Um, and, uh, and when there are other concerns there, but I think that it is very natural to look at what Shanahan particularly has been able to do with San Francisco. He's still going after that super bowl. They may very well get it this year, but there's a monkey on his back too. But, um, I think that there is a part of me and many fans that look at just the way that those teams have been innovative and McVay's had some different stumbles, you know, losing Gurley kind of changed the DNA of that offense. And he had to learn to adapt without him because Gurley was kind of like the secret sauce to that Super Bowl Rams team, even though they were seen as this 11 personnel, they throw it all over the yard. Um, so he's had some hurdles that he's had to overcome, but he's also just brilliant. And, and what Shanahan's done with, with San Francisco offensively is absolutely amazing. And there is this very natural feeling you get as a Seahawks fan when you have a head coach who's like, this is how I like to do things. And part of my secret sauce to making this work is sticking to it. Like if you start to lose sight of who you are, that's when you lose and that's when you fail and that's when you struggle. You have to know who you are and stick to it. And that's kind of the way he approaches team building and coaching and um, a, not a consequence of that, but a, a, some fallout from that is when the league starts to change, you feel like he's not. Um, I do think that, that Carol has adapted and evolved in his own way. I think a switch in base defense from a four, three to a three, four was part of that. I think allowing for his coordinators to have a little more autonomy has been part of that. Um, and I think, you know, um, embracing different roles with safety play has been part of that. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked out. Like Jamal Adams hasn't been the game changer that you were hoping he would be. Um, 
your defense switch to a 3-4, which is a nice way to try to combat these really innovative passing offenses, but you didn't have the personnel to like put big bodies up front, right? Like there's just, there's been little hurdles in the way of, of some of that innovation or evolution rather, maybe not innovation. Um, I, I think that I have a little bit of patience with Pete, which is so ironic because we've been talking about the Mariners all week as well and how patience is running out. And here's a team that's also struggling. That doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs. And we're like, well, wait a minute. Like, let's see what they can do. Um, but they've earned that. I, I think you can say that. And you know, that might make some fans angry, but you do earn a little bit of grace when you've overseen a really successful program. It's the same grace that Tomlin's going to get the same grace that Belichick is going to get. Um, and so uh, I think the biggest thing I wonder with him is whether that grass is greener that same thing you said like you know are you gonna is Jody Allen or ownership should they move on from Pete after this season or after next season or you know further are you gonna luck in and, and find that guy and and you know hope that you get this really innovative person that can you know light a spark and and take the lead by storm because uh, there's a lot of instances where that doesn't happen and <laughs> it's like it's like the quarterback conversation we had. Like there are so many like dream scenarios that get texted in all the time. And I don't want to belittle those texts. I just want to say like every other half of those scenarios is one where you get a bust. It's one where you take a Zach Wilson at number two instead of a Mahomes at number 10 or wherever he was. Like it's where you, you know, you get, like you said, you get a Matt Patricia and not a Sean McVay. Um, so there is a fear, a very natural as a risk averse person fear that I have of what happens when you move on. Like this guy's made it work for so long. Like what if the problem is they just need better offensive linemen? And what if that solves stuff? Or, you know, I, I'm, that's the battle I'm currently having is whether you're going to see a real improvement with personnel when you have the same decision makers there. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's the thing. That's, always going to be the tough question especially yeah. like that when you have a head coach that you've been that's been there for so long that has brought so much success to the team um mm -hmm. especially one like pete you know he's brought the the team their only super bowl should have yeah. brought home this it's second yeah. super bowl as well <laughs> you know alone, but... I, yeah i just i'm just <laughs> it's just a glancing shot that's it we're gonna quickly <laughs> just gotta move on after that yeah um but you know it's it's you know so but then also, if you want to look on the other side of things, is yeah, they have brought a, a Super Bowl, but they haven't looked like they're going back to the Super Bowl since that right. Super Bowl. So maybe right. there is time to, you know, and it's kind of ironic that, of course, this is sort of the 10-year anniversary this season of the, that Super Bowl yeah. too. And it kind of makes people reflect also to, as well, saying, oh, yeah, what have we done in those last 10 years? And, you know, that's when the calls get louder and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, that's it. You should never have reminded anybody that's a 10 year anniversary. If you said nothing, I, yeah. it would have been absolutely fine. <laughs> but now people are going to be raging again. They're going to be, and we haven't even been back to a conference championship game. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Where, yeah. where's, where's, I haven't seen a banner raised in years. What the hell's yeah. going on here? Like, yeah. You know, where's our NBA what? in season tourney? <laughs> <laughs> um, talk to me about, the rushing attack because I'm struggling oh, to find, I'm struggling to understand what's going on because um one thing that's that's frustrates me um because um actually I didn't get a chance to tell you that we um that this show actually is formed of actually guys that play American football over here in Ireland 
Um, mm. We all play for the same team. So we sort of look at it and, you know, I'm looking to be a coach. So I'm kind of looking at it from my coach point of view when it comes to, you know, first of all, we're going to talk rushing, rushing attack and then defense. But mm-hmm. you see, you look at a guy like Ken Walker and the p- pace that he has and the fact that I ne- almost never see them come out in an eye formation um, with Gino and shotgun and him and Co- Walker a couple of yards behind him to give Walker that chance to just, you know, a couple of yards to just absolutely you know, become a bullet and just run through that gap, wherever that gap is. Um, Obviously, people talk about, you know, bouncing out and not going through the gap. But, you know, utilizing that, for me, that's one thing. Utilizing, you know, the the skills that your players have in terms of, like, Walker with his pace. Let him use that pace. Let him build it up and and run through those gaps. But what what are you seeing or not seeing from from the rushing attack that um, the Seahawks are struggling with? I haven't always looked at play calling as being, um, you know, kind of a lingering question mark. Although I do agree with you that like Ken Walker isn't this bulldozer that's like, hey, hit the gap and go. Like he does like to bounce outside, like you said. And uh, the idea of giving him a little more vision, a little more space uh, is interesting. My co-host, uh, Michael Bumpus, has pointed to has pointed to play calling at times, um, you know, whether it's like uh just certain blocking schemes like, you know, zone versus if you're using power for something. And his take is that that Zach Charbonnet and Ken Walker are good at two different things. And just like the very simple version, good at two different things. And that this offense does not always diversify to take advantage of those two in that way. It's kind of have like a, it'll be like, this works for Ken. So plug Zach in for this sometimes. And it's like, well, wait a minute, like Charbonnet, you know, like, He's a bit more of a bulldozer. Like, you know, you can do like some, some power stuff with him in a different way. Uh, so he's kind of explored that a little bit more in, in ways that are sometimes above my head or <laughs> sometimes where I'm like, well, I didn't catch it. So I'm going to let you roll with this. Um, my thing is that, I, that they just haven't had the offensive line play, the interior offensive line play. You've had a rotating door at center, and that's been a continuing issue for you. You've had questionable guard play. Damian Lewis has been up and down. I would say he's fine. I would say he's worth having as an investment piece for the future and, you know, your two tackles and Lewis and then finding answers elsewhere. But the interior of their offensive line has been a giant question mark for multiple years, and I don't think it's a coincidence that your run game has also not been able to be consistent. Like, you've got Lynch, huge gap two years of Carson with a thousand yards. And that was when you were running it more than anyone else. So like, you know, there were games when you had like 30 plus carries. So of course you're averaging 160 a game as a team uh, when you're, that's kind of, you know, your heavy run and that's kind of it. And, you know, you've had a thousand yards of Ken Walker, which was obviously great, but like, I don't feel like that's the identity of this team. They want it to be, but like, I don't feel like they're a a run heavy team. I don't feel like they're a team that can pound the rock and, and, and run the ball really effectively. So last year it matters. It happened, but like, I don't, I don't carry it over as like an era. Like I need to see more. So I've kind of just pinned it on offensive line play and, um, and having two very different running backs that, that, that maybe you should bend a bit more with instead of trying a one-size-fits-all solution for them. Yeah, and I, I, it's interesting that you, you're totally right with the the two running backs with the different uh, sort of attributes. And, you know, yeah. it's not a, it's it's something that I, that I like. You know, you got your guy for, you know, long yardage, you know, wants to, wants to run, can run quickly. 
but don't give him a lot of outside runs where he'd probably be more effective with more uh, open field. And then, you know, you got like Zach and who's right. there for the short, you know, heavy yards. And yes, okay, you give him a few um, few uh, runs on, on the inside. But like you mentioned, the, the offensive line play probably hasn't been able to give him the gaps that he's wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. Center, yeah, is a big, big issue. They haven't been able to settle on one. Hopefully now with either... Ben Brown, um, who has played well this year, or with their rookie um, Oluwatimi, who hopefully mm-hmm. um, next season can get more snaps because he looks like someone who can, you know, have, take that position as his own for the next five, six years, which is what the Seahawks just need. They just need just need consistency in the middle of that yep. uh, of that offensive line for sure. But defensively, um, it's interesting. Um, obviously, on the game on, on Sunday, they gave up 527 total yards. Teams given up an average of over 400 total yards in the last seven games, mm-hmm. and that on Sunday was the second game of those seven of those seven where they gave up over 500. Um, you know, I think the Niners were averaging a first down on every play, about 10.2 yards per play. Just on, a casual, on Sunday. <laughs> just, yeah. just like casual you see these stats and. I, you know, I was just, yeah, I was just going through all this research exactly. for the info. I was like, 9.9 yards of play. Are you kidding? That's me? unreal. That's like, that's a um, like bad college defense. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. but it's, it's weird because the last, for the last three years, if I want to take in a smaller sample size, the, the defense has obviously been an issue the last three years, but this year compared to those other two has been different in terms of the previous two, the defense started off like trash. And then towards the right. end of the year, they got in quotes sorted out and they thought, mm-hmm. okay, we'll go into next season with this. Everything will be fine. This season differently. They thought they started off with, you know, everything's working. Oh, yeah, we, no one can run against us. We're doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what was it? 11 sack game against the Giants. And yep. then, but they as had the like season's gone on, like four solid games right there. Yeah. 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 And, and the, as, as the season's gone on, the defense has seemed to got worse. And especially for a side of the ball with so much money and draft capital invested into it, um, that, we should be getting a lot better play from this, but you know, we look at say tackling, for example, tackling is big, a big ish, a big problem. Um, each week coaches and players say that tackling needs to improve for a team that has a the tackling technique uh, copied around the league. And I will admit our team has used their uh, Hawk tackling um, technique um, yeah. and use their videos as guides for our own team of how to tackle. But how can a team for so many, almost a second year at the row, at, at least at this stage, be so bad as such a fundamental part of the game? I have no idea. That is where I look at coaching. And that is where I wonder, like, if, if everyone is struggling with something, is that everyone or is that a, a cause behind it? And so I don't know if it's uh, things aren't being absorbed in practice. I don't know if it's a coaching thing. I don't know if it's a fundamentals thing, but when you have a heavily penalized team and a team that really, really struggles with tackles, I tend to think that's not 11 guys that are really bad. That's something that's not sinking in. 
It's, it's interesting. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned like using that teach tape and stuff, because this used to be something that was just like fundamental with the Seahawks. And you were like, you know, the one thing you can say is they really value the fundamentals of football. And that includes sure tackling. Uh, Pete Carroll has sounded very disappointed with it. He's talked about Woolen, for instance, Rick Woolen needing to improve there. And they, uh, you know, like the passes defense that he has for the percentage snaps that he's taken, but they're really struggling with the tackling. And he's called him out, and that's rare uh, for him to call out players by name. He's talked about Daryl Taylor not finishing up uh, a sack on Dak Prescott in the game against the Cowboys. It's rare to call out players. But I think that Pete's comments this week, whether it was on the Pete Carroll show on our airwaves, whether it was in his press conference, were very eye-opening when it comes to defensive play. Because while people on the outside are looking at it going, hey – is this coaching? Like, why aren't people absorbing this? I think Pete, it seems to me, very confused and frustrated because it sure seems like from his point of view, he's checking in during the week and it's, we got this, looks good, practice is solid, you know, people are wrapping up, people are looking great, and, you know, um, the concepts are checking out, people understand, you know, responsibilities and they understand certain plays, and it's just not translating. And sometimes you're going to face an opponent. We talked with Frank Clark last week, and who coincidentally did not make this trip. He wasn't going to be active. But uh, he talked about facing the 49ers a couple times. And he was like, when you face a team that is really good at something, it doesn't matter how good you are. They're going to be able to do it a few times. Like your best performance, like their worst game, they'll still be able to do something. The Eagles will be able to have a quarterback sneak against the Seahawks. The Seahawks could be the best team in football. It's just going to happen. Like when a team does something exceptionally well – you just have to accept they might they might do that against you. The trick is to not let that get in your head and keep playing sound. So, uh, you know, to have some missed tackles against a really good offense is fine. That happens. To have as many as Seattle has been having and to have these fundamental issues, and worse still, to have your head coach be looking around like, what is happening? That, to me, is most unnerving, right? Like, the more confused and frustrated Pete Carroll seems, the more confused and frustrated I feel because I'm wondering, like, you know, hey, you know, Pete, is this something where you need to ask yourself, like, you know, clearly I'm not doing something, but what is it? Because it sure sounds like people seem to get it during the week and seem to look good during the week. So it's clear to me when you have this consistent issue that it's an internal problem. It's just when when is execution a coach problem? That's that's the question that I come back to with tackling. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that that could be down to you know, if you want to take it to the very beginning, like an assessment maybe issue when looking at these at these players as well. And it's interesting that you mentioned the Reek Wallen thing because I think um, what what game was it? Was it the the Rams game he was taken out of, um, um, and he was benched? Oh God, it was. Uh, I want to say it was. I want to say it was. Was it, was it on Commanders? the road? Yeah, it could have been the Rams in SoFi. Yeah, it could have been the Rams in SoFi. But I think teams are actively targeting that side of the field and targeting him for his Mm -hmm. lack of tackling. And, you know, I've seen it myself. I've gotten gotten hot myself watching it on the TV and seeing, you know, uh, one thing I hate more than anything else is those leading with the shoulder tackles. I just hate them. I know know it looks great if you're playing Madden with a hit stick and everything like that, but when I've seen it on the field, it... (laughs) It it does it yep. does my head in. Just wrap up and just take to the ground. You you can yeah. get another tackle in or something and then celebrate. But um, it's just it, it's interesting. Like you said, it, it'd be interesting to see what is done when it comes to and 
I don't want to mean doom and gloom, saying at the end of the season, whether that yeah. is in four games time, whether that's in five or six games time, but when they sit down and, and evaluate everything and it comes to, to defense saying, okay, so what is going on with these guys and, and why right. why are they not tackling? You're right. And maybe it's, um, you know, we talked about how sometimes coaching, you know, isn't just one guy. It's like a soup, like ingredients in a soup. And like, it's clear that the coaching soup for the Seahawks has tons of positivity and fun and excitement and, uh, uh, you know, really good at firing guys up. Um, people love playing here. Like even in down Seahawks years, I have, when we've interviewed players or talked with them off record, have not heard bad things about playing here. Like people genuinely enjoy playing here. Is there an accountability factor that's missing? Is there like a toughness? You know what I mean? Like, is there just one ingredient of this coaching soup? <laughs> that's a horrible analogy, but it's one we were using this week because um, you got to have, you really do have to have like good cop, bad cop. I love the way that bump explained it. And he was like, when I think of the best coaching staff that I was on, we didn't even win the most games, but we just had all the right pieces. And it was just a solid team because of that. And I, I wonder if maybe adapting for the Seahawks isn't firing Clint hurt or moving on from Pete Carroll or Shane Waldron, but adding, or maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe shifting responsibilities, finding a place where maybe that accountability factor can be emphasized more. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm going to bring up Shane Waldron a little bit, but I want to actually go back to to Pete and look at the wider picture because you, you're mentioning there about you know the the atmosphere and, and what the what the team is like, and you know this season I think we're seeing a little bit of a different type of Pete Carroll, um, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it's totally in a good sense. You know, I I. I am an avid listener to his Monday uh, interview with, with Brock and, and Salkin on Seattle Sports Radio. And, you know, during those losses, I I, fe- I hear a common theme that, you know, oh, we didn't prepare properly for our opposition. Um, and, you know, uh, the players are not executed plays properly. You know, he's mm-hmm. naming players as well. You know, I think Julian Love and Jamal Adams this week were just two of the names that you mentioned. Um. Do you find that maybe there's a disconnect in the locker room? Is Pete's message starting to fall possibly on deaf ears? Um, he passed off that question with Sock on Monday. Um, oh God! <laughs> you know and that it that was, was so very awkward. awkward. It was very so awkward. awkward. We were listening the... live, and and both Curtis uh, and I just went, "Oh!" <laughs> 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 okay. But it's a fair, it was a fair question. I thought it was a completely fair yeah. question. I'm I'm glad that Mike asked it. I would not have been brave enough to uh or i would have asked it in a in a way too soft way um but it needed to be asked which is hey your whole thing is messaging if your message is play tough play sound defense uh be aggressive and your team doesn't look like that well where's it's fair to ask if the message is getting lost um and and uh this is i agree with you it's been an interesting tone from carol this year and carol got an interesting side because you hear you know you see Pete Carroll from afar and you're thinking he's everyone's uh you know funny uncle and like like in a in a really like he's just so he's nice he's jovial he's friendly um you know he's very sarcastic he's the easiest coach uh, I have not covered many coaches but by far the friendliest that I've ever had to like interview or whatever but he has moments and there is I think a a uh like savageness to Carroll that people saw earlier in his career 
And I don't necessarily think that part is coming back, but maybe it needs to. Uh, KJ Wright uh, on his uh, show with G. Scott had a really interesting take about this, talking about how early on in Pete Carroll's career, and KJ might have talked about this with with us as well, um, not us, our station, that if if you weren't making it, you were cut. Or (laughs) if you weren't performing, you were benched. And and Carroll was really tough with guys. I mean, he's supportive and he encourages guys to be themselves, but like he was not afraid for a very loyal person to, to say, Hey, you need to prove it or you're out of here. And um, it, it was interesting to hear from a for, former player that there was a part to him that maybe we don't see as fans uh, that isn't as soft and kind, but is really cutthroat and pretty, pretty damn tough. And uh, so I've, I've wondered throughout these conversations this year, if it's that Carol there who's getting starting to get a little angry and starting to get a little frustrated and starting to say, or maybe even starting to sense my job's going to be on the line. And I don't think this is my fault. <laughs> and I think he, yeah. he, uh, he puts himself in front of a lot of bullets for his team. And I've always admired that about him. Um, and I don't think he's not doing that, but I do think that there is a version of Pete Carroll that I haven't seen a lot of that we're seeing a little bit more this year. And it's very eye opening. Yeah. And I think you're right, definitely, about the him looking at the scenario at the moment and thinking, oh, my job could be on the line. Because yeah, I think, especially through these last four games, I've thought a lot about, you know, what he has said previously. And I go back to, <clears throat> sorry, uh, Russ's last season with the team and when he was injured. Um, he was out for about three or four games, and Gino came in mm-hmm. and covered. And and Gino did a good, did a, a a grand job. But I think it was the the game, the Monday night game in New Orleans. Uh, no, not in New Orleans. Sorry, against New Orleans in Seattle, and it was a very close game. I think it finished like ten to seven in the end to New Orleans. They won the game. Seattle, like their first play of the game, went for like a seventy-five yard touchdown to DK, and and but he wasn't targeted for the rest of the game. Kind of coincides with last Sunday. You know, mm-hmm. great start. Doesn't get, it. but his press conference after it, he came out of nowhere and he says that um, I've had Russ on this team, and I've won a lot of football games with Russ. If I didn't have Russ, I wouldn't have won so many football games. I might not have been here as long. And I think I keep thinking about that and in, in that with that quote, with how things are going at the moment. He doesn't have a Russ anymore to sort of, yeah. you know, make these plays out of nowhere to keep the the ball going to make these fantastic uh, to keep plays going to sort of you know sort of bail the team out when they're struggling. Um, and I think, yeah, like you're saying, that it's kind of dawned on Pete as well this year that, yeah, we need to be a fully functioning team and not just rely on our quarterback now because we don't have that sort of rust at his peak anymore. Yeah, exactly. And that feeling, I think that there's this natural thing when someone is eternally optimistic, as Pete is, to assume that person is naive. And uh, there is no part of Pete Carroll, I think, that is naive. There's part of him that constantly believes and is incredibly optimistic and looks at the bright side very intentionally. But um, I think he's a very smart person, smarter than people give him credit for. I don't know if it's an age thing. I don't know if it's because he's uh, tries to portray this kind of, you know, snarky, sometimes sarcastic look, but like, I think that Pete Carroll hears what people say. I think Pete Carroll is aware of conversations about the team. Um, I think that Pete Carroll is, 
uh, is aware that his job isn't safe just because he's won a Super Bowl and that he's he doesn't think he's untouchable. And um, I think <laughs> I think that uh, if I'm putting myself in Pete Carroll's shoes, there's probably a lot that I wish people understood about the team. Like I kind of got a feeling of that during that um, interview that he had with Salk. And uh, Mike was asking him uh, about previous teams. And uh, it's almost like you could hear Pete be frustrated about comparisons to the Legion of Boom. And he started to say, I'm paraphrasing, but what he said was basically offenses were different. Like 10 years ago, offenses were different. So anyone like he's not saying this, but I feel like he wanted to jump up from the interview and be like, anyone's thinking I'm just going to draft Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and, you know, whip up this like Legion of Boom defense. You're going to be waiting a long time because like the league is just not the same. And the league has evolved to respond to the style of defense we played. And now we got to figure some other stuff out. And playing defense is harder and more complicated. And, uh, you know, there's probably parts of him, too. That's like, yeah, we thought Jamal would work out. When we drafted him, he was a first, or when we uh, traded for him, he was a first team all pro and he was 24, 24, 25 years old. It was a great trade for us on paper. Um, Like, I think there's things he wishes he could say more bluntly that, that he can't. And that's how I would feel as a head coach. I'd be like, there's so much stuff you guys don't understand. That was a very long rant. But um, I just think Pete Carroll is way more aware of a lot of this stuff than we give him credit for. And I think there, I, I do wonder sometimes if there's a real, Fear isn't the right word, but like, he's just so eternally hopeful, but like a real fear there of like, what if this costs me? Yeah. I, I, and I guess it's understandable and it kind of has to be there as well because like we we're in territory that he's never been in before yeah. with the team. Yeah. So he's going to, he, he does have to sort of take a step back and, you know, evaluate everything and, and what he's doing with the team to see like, is it me? Is there something else? Is it certain players? Do we need to 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 change certain things? And one of the things that we that they may need to look at is the offensive coordinator, um, because Shane Waldron has come in for a lot of criticism this year for his for his play calling. And um, and look, I I like Shane Waldron's play calling. So I think he's actually sort of evolved the offense in in terms of. Um, you know, making it more exciting to watch. Maybe there's an issue when it comes to Shane, when it comes, when it comes to, you know, situational play calling that maybe he's a great play designer, but maybe not Mm. in situations. He's a great play caller, but what do you get from your sense um, with, with the Seahawks? Is Shane sort of on borrowed time at the moment and they may look to, to uh, get someone else in, in the off season. Um, I don't think at the moment I, I Salk talked about feeling after the interview that when Pete was hinting at changes or hinting at potential moves, that it was at a player level and not at a coach level. Um, there have been moments over the course of the season where I have wondered if Pete is frustrated with, with Shane, though he's also been careful about talking about wanting to give coordinators that autonomy, like very intentionally not talking to Shane when Shane is calling plays and waiting until the defense is out there to go over there and talk to him. Like, I think that's from a place of respect and saying, this is your offense. I have, you know, my plan of what I want it to look like, but like I hired you to do this job. And, um, but I think one of the things that's been weird about, uh, what Shane Waldron has done, I appreciate the way that the offense, uh, last year, and this year has evolved with its use of tight ends. Um, 
at the same time, it's almost like sometimes they don't know how to use all the weapons they have. And I don't necessarily think this is an offense that's like stacked with weapons, though I do think they have some good skill position groups. Like I think your tight end group is really good. And I think your, um, you know, your, your top three wide receivers are really good. And, uh, and you've got running backs that can catch the ball. <laughs> it's I'm surprised we don't use them more in the, in the past game, I guess screenplays are just constantly a failure, but uh, I, I think there's been frustration that I've sensed uh, of not being able to utilize all those weapons. Again, that's when we do this circular logic and we get back to, okay, well, is this an offensive line thing? Is this, uh, you know, uh, you aren't using your tight ends as much because they're helping with, with pass blocking? Is this, um, you know, that, uh, that Gino's still figuring stuff out? Um, so I, I don't get the sense that – I wondered if Shane might be on the move when the offense was looking abysmal. I think, though, that the defense is a little more under fire of late – give up 500 plus yards to your divisional rival. Like it's, it's uh, I, I saw someone tweet and I, I hate that. I don't have credit for them right now. I just saw the tweet. They were like, if both coordinators are on the hot seat, it kind of feels like everyone should be on the hot seat. Cause that's kind of a problem, but it's so hard to tell what the root of this is. Right. Is it, yeah. is it that they haven't had the right players? Is it injuries? Is it bad luck? Is it, you know, and um, I don't know that four games will give us enough time to find that out. And I, I'm so I'm curious to see these guys It's going to piss people off. But I am curious to see this group of coaches for another year to see if it's maybe you do have the right ingredients and, and you just needed to be a little luckier with your schedule and injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're using the safety of an Irish podcast now to say that you want to keep those coaches there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, for, uh, for Kit Hurt, I, I think, um, I think that the issue with the defense is overestimating. I think that was this mm-hmm. team's cardinal sin with the defense. You overestimated how good you were as a defense. You overestimated, uh, how healthy Jamal would be and the, you know, the difference he could make. You overestimated the development that Rick Woolen would have as a very new corner. You overestimated, um, you know, the, the kind of improvement that your uh, outside linebackers would see with Daryl Taylor clearly not getting to that, you know, like next level of his development, Uchenna now being hurt for the season. Like, it just feels like part of the problem is you thought you had, you know, more to cook with <laughs> and you don't. Yeah. With the offense, it's like you got so many pieces, you know, like, why, why is it, why aren't you using all of them? And, um, and so that one I'm still figuring out, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too soft on, on Clint hurt. I just, I, um, I do tend to think it's that I have more personnel questions when it comes to defense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I would sort of agree with you when it comes to defense, I think the, and and Pete talks about it, that the scheme and the setup is sound, but player execution is. is the issue. So yeah, I would agree. Maybe, Look, maybe if you can move on some of the higher earners that maybe just aren't performing. Um, mm-hmm. I won't give names because people listen to this probably already know what sort of names that that we're discussing. But you know, it, it, maybe getting some, you know, allocating funds to different areas instead of the positions that they do at the moment, and maybe going with the sort of cheaper guys. Right. Um, one example though that I think of is you know someone like Ryan Neal is only like two million dollars with Tampa. They let him walk, and they just could have kept him no problem. 
Um, and maybe, I don't know, Jerry Reed, when he comes back from his injury, maybe he can step in there too, um, which which would be great. Um, but, Stacey, I know uh, we've been talking so long. I've really enjoyed the chat. Thank you so much for taking all the time. One sort of last topic, um, and um, I will we'll call it a day, and that's looking ahead now to the final four games of the season. Um, like I mentioned at the start, they're on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs. By the time they yeah. kick off against the Eagles on Monday, they could be two games out from the playoffs. Obviously, Monday night's game between the Packers and the Giants helped the Seahawks in that sense mm-hmm. for, for playoffs. Um, they, of course, they can still make it. You're in this horrible sort of limbo at this at the moment when it comes to the team where do we want to make it to the playoffs be possibly one and done? Do we want to right. sort of not make the playoffs, get a higher draft position? You know, it's this horrible sort of what do we sort of do scenario. And obviously no no team's gonna voluntarily tank for a, a, a higher draft position. But then they also have to take it into account saying, Well, listen, if it is let's say a quarterback that they want, or if it is sort of mm-hmm. a higher rated player in the first or even, well, I was going to say second round, they don't have a second round pick this year, but in the other rounds that they're looking at, do we sort of look at and say, well, look, maybe finishing one and three is not going to be the problem, but your sort of point of view on, on what the next four games and the approach is going to be like, obviously they, they still want to win, but, yeah. you know, yeah. maybe for the long-term aspirations. I think long term, it, it's definitely better to win. I think there are people that would look at it and go, well, I mean, you could have pick number 12. <laughs> if you lose out or even higher, you're not going to get five. But like you could have a you could get a solid pass rusher, right? Like you could you could get a really nice interior lineman. Like you could figure some stuff out at, at you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 or whatever. Um, I think, though, that if you are someone who uh, wants to keep the coaching staff or wants to keep Pete Carroll, if you are someone who. Uh, doesn't like losing, uh, or if you are someone who um, is in any way worried about culture, then it is in every interest of yours to keep winning. Uh, and I tend to fall into that latter category in particular, because I think the only way the Seahawks close this gap and improve is to develop talent within the trenches, uh, to improve in the trenches, um, and also to get the most as they possibly can out of their 2022-23 draft classes. I worry about the impact on young players when you lose the final, you know, six, seven, eight games of the season. I worry about the impact of first and second year players when there is a lot of animosity in a locker room. It is so much harder than people realize to wash that away. Like I am continually in awe of what Dan Campbell has been able to do, taking over with Detroit and having like a pretty bad first kind of second year still before they kind of took off because he kept those guys wanting to run through a wall for him. Like that is such impressive coaching and it's so hard to do. That's why it deserves like a tip of the cap because it's not that easy. And you know, this idea that like you can hit pause on the season uh, and not have real adverse effects on young players who you need. If you want to be better, you need those guys. You need Devin Witherspoon to believe that this team is going to a Super Bowl. Like you need all of these young guys to think, I'm going to run through a wall for this team. Like that's the kind of environment you need. Uh, thankfully your schedule gets easier. I, I think that um, I would have loved as would everyone to have seen them pick up that win against the Rams, Ho- maybe, you know, squeak out a win against Dallas and you'd feel a lot better about this because the Eagles and 49ers were not the teams I felt most confident about that said Eagles have lost by a combined 43 points 
against the 49ers and Cowboys, you've lost by like 18 or 19 or so. The Eagles are a better team than you are, but they're in a way right now. Philadelphia is going to see Seattle as a get-right game, but I do think there's opportunity here, um, uh, especially if Geno comes back, especially if you're just a little bit healthier. Uh, you know, guys like Ken Walker, maybe Jordan Brooks getting even healthier in this game. Uh, and then I feel like the remainder of your schedule are winnable contests. Like, there is a world where you finish with nine wins uh, or more, and you enter an offseason, uh, yes, with a worse draft pick, but with a healthier culture. So, Depends on the trade-off you want to make. I tend to lean towards that one, but yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's I think you know, I think it, it was talked about that that this isn't necessarily the year in the sort of building of, of the team that yeah. this was going to be the year to go for. So to keep morale as high as possible to to finish well is is definitely mm-hmm. important, and and I would agree with that. And nobody wants to lose football games, you know. We've gone no. through four of them already. I just want to get that win feeling back, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's so da- like you don't real not you, but like it can be so damaging and so long lasting when there's that bad taste in your mouth. Like my first year covering the team in person was 2015. I covered the 2014 season, obviously with the Super Bowl 49 loss, which was heartbreaking. And um, I used to talk with this one reporter who's no longer on the beat. One of his theories, and I love this theory, was that 2015 on paper was uh, one of the Seahawks' best seasons they've had. Like, they were like a top five unit, I think, in like um, a total offense and defense. Maybe I'm spacing on the defense, but they were, it was their last like really complete team. And his theory was always it was too late because that locker room that season was fractured and those wounds run deep. And by now, they've, you know, those guys aren't there anymore and it's changed and it's gotten better. But like, you don't, I, I think, you know, there are humans playing and uh, you lose out to end a season. It doesn't matter if you trade up and get Caleb Williams and uh, go spend on a big free agent. There's going to be distrust and there's going to be resentment. And uh, and that's hard to work through. So I'm I'm hoping for their sake and, and for the sake for Seahawks fans, just for fun, that Monday's a surprise win and then the rest of the schedule you get some good opportunities against weaker, comparatively weaker opponents. Yeah, for sure. Stacy, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you. Um, I'm so sorry if I kept you a little longer than maybe you initially planned. Oh, that's but, okay. I'm long. Um, <laughs> it's it, it's been great to get a, a, an insight into how the team's getting on from you know a, a seattle point of view obviously being over here we only get to see so much and uh, we appreciate all the all the time that you spent um covering the team um hopefully the next four games are going to go well starting on monday um i have a sneaking suspicion that i will um I think I think they just I don't know why I just think it's going to work out. But listen, um, for anyone that is interested in following you on any of your socials or following the show, um, where can they find it? So you can find me uh, on social at Stacy Rost and uh, on the show it's SeattleSports.com, seven ten a.m. Uh, or the Seattle Sports app. And uh, Bump and I are on from ten to two Pacific. Just listen to the podcast. If you're in another country, it's the podcast is easy. It's just you don't even have yeah. to wake up early. <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's it it's perfect yeah. and it's all it's perfect time was it that's 6 p.m to oh, 6 p.m to 10 yeah. that's perfect time you get like a you, you know? get like a happy hour tune in you know yeah yeah you're just coming home from work day. making a bit of dinner yeah. seattle yeah, exactly. sports radio on in the background you know it's perfect i'm it's getting perfect. into work with my coffee but we're all kind of talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, like I said, I, hopefully uh, the next four games go well. Hopefully we will get to um, have you back on in the off season to to discuss how it went and maybe looking ahead to to the following year. But once again, thank you so much. Thank you. And that is it for this edition of the show. Before you do, make sure if you haven't already on YouTube, you like this video and subscribe to the channel to be kept up to date with all the latest shows. The podcast version of this will also be available. Just search for Under Center Podcast wherever you get your podcasts at Under Center Pod, Instagram, Twitter, or X, wherever it's called. That's where you'll find us there. But until next time, stay safe and we'll see you soon.